I'm Adam Kaiser. And I'm Jordan Fees. With us is Justin Dillon, Corporate Counsel at Red Hat. Justin spent time as a litigator before getting into compliance, but we were surprised to find out he actually has a degree in religious studies and philosophy. Yes, that brings a whole new interesting angle to things. Really interested to hear what he has to say. But before we get to our conversation, let's cover some of the trending topics that are impacting practitioners today. So Jordan, what's happening in the world of compliance today? So the Group of States Against Corruption published its annual anti-corruption trends report, and the report really urges governments in Europe to take note and manage the emerging corruption risks um, related to measures during the COVID-19 pandemic. So the report, which evaluates the implementation of anti-corruption recommendations on central governments around Europe, really found that these risks might be more prevalent in the public procurement area. And, you know, they also concluded that at the end of 2020, only 40% of EU member states had successfully implemented all of their recommendations. So still a lot of room to grow in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of international affairs, since we just were sort of digging in there, let's say you're doing interviews for an internal investigation on the other side of the planet, and you find out your U.S. headquarters is being raided by federal authorities. Oh, and by the way, it's the biggest raid since Enron. What do you do? Wow. Uh, first off, very specific scenario. And you know I'm not the expert. So I would I would call a, a compliance officer. And that's exactly what you're here today on Risky Business with Justin Dillon. So Justin, we want to start at the beginning. We think that most kids don't grow up wanting to mitigate organizational risk. So how did you get into compliance? Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. And I think I'm going to sound a lot like many of your other guests in saying that I sort of just fell into it. It wasn't planned out. In hindsight, though, it does seem like a logical progression for me. In college, I majored in religious studies and philosophy. And philosopher I focused on, Emmanuel Levinas, was known for his work in ethics. After college, I joined Teach for America, which, if you don't know, is a two-year AmeriCorps program. And I taught middle school special education in North Philly. So I was always concerned with ethics and the right thing to do. And I I think teaching in a lot of ways is similar to compliance. I'll always maintain that teaching was still the toughest job I've ever had, and it's not even close. But there are some similarities, I think, between compliance and teaching. Compliance professionals, we educate our stakeholders about the risks. We create training. We create messaging. And like we would prepare our students for test day. I think we prepare our stakeholders and uh, partners for the tests they might face out in the field. That's such an interesting point. And actually, I think the first time I've seen that parallel being drawn, but I think it's so true. A lot of what compliance officers have to do is training and educating likely large populations of employees or third parties on policies and code of conduct. So do you feel like being a teacher prepared you to be a better compliance officer? Somewhat. I, I think there is a difference between employees at sophisticated Fortune 100 <laughs> firms and, and seventh graders. But uh, Just lately. <laughs> is, is, is there really? <laughs> Yeah, perhaps we all still have a little bit of seventh grader in us, I think. But after law school, I I went to a big law firm in New York, and I think that also helped prepare me well for compliance. I I know you've had some guests on here that talk about dichotomy between litigators who come into the compliance field and folks who worked in transactional law who then come into the compliance field. And I fall into that litigator camp. 
I worked on white collar crime and internal investigations with a former AUSA, Lynn Niels, who I think she's at Baker Potts now and was just incredibly influential in the way I thought about my career and compliance and investigations. And I left that firm for an in-house opportunity and a legal department conducting investigations. It was a, a role completely focused on investigations, global investigation involved a lot of travel. And I think that experience really prepared me for the worst case scenarios you can see as a compliance professionals and to see how even the best built processes can sometimes have outliers or exceptions. And after a few years of investigations, I moved into an anti-corruption compliance role and then heard about the opportunity at Red Hat. And uh, Red Hat, for those who don't know, is a leader in open source software solutions and is really committed to this idea of open, transparent organizations and a flat organizational structure and a way of doing business that's very collaborative and transparent. So I jumped at the chance to have an architectural role in building a compliance program here at Red Hat and leveraging that commitment to transparency and just open source ideals and being able to pair those with IBM's analytical tool. The company was acquired in 2019. So that was exciting to be able to leverage many of IBM's tools in a compliance framework. Or maybe I just joined a software company because I want to wear a hoodie to work all the time. <laughs> yes, I think that's the real reason. So many different interesting points that we want to dive into from your background. But first, we, we have to ask, we need to hear your oh shit moment. And this is a career defining moment, which you know can either be that aha breakthrough moment, you can't believe you figured it out, or it is things hit the fan. I cannot believe this is happening. Sirens are going off in your head. So tell us, what is your oh shit story? Yeah, I like that there are so many different ways to interpret that question. I think I'm going to go with the, when things hit the fan. About half a career ago, I was conducting an internal investigation in China. I was about halfway through a week or two of witness interviews in Beijing in a, a law firm offices. One night, my phone just started blowing up with these mass emails and text messages from colleagues. And it turned out that federal authorities were right then raiding U.S. company headquarters and server locations in a dawn raid. It was evening Beijing time. And I think as a compliance professional, that's really the situation we all fear as, I guess, tense as it can get. I was still in a, a relatively junior investigations role at the time. And to hear that news, though, and to wonder what it means for the company, what it means for you know even the work I was doing right then and not really knowing what was happening, it was a moment where you know just had to stop and say, oh, wow, where did, can I possibly go from here? And as you might expect, the witnesses and employees of the company's subsidiary out in China had a lot of questions the next day, particularly for a, a U.S. lawyer. And then throughout the next week, as I was continuing the investigation and trying to wrap it up, there were just a lot of questions. What's going on? Why did this happen to the company? What does this mean? And I didn't have visibility into the answers to those bigger questions. And they're scored for me. The importance of compliance, obviously, but also the importance of a tone at the top, which we talk so much about in compliance. And it really comes into play to see how important it is to employees to feel like they're working for an ethical company and that even in dark situations like that, that still matters. And I was, it was really impressive to me to see the company's leadership, the CEO, the CECO, the head of investigations. They all responded very quickly with very public messaging to the employees about the commitment to compliance that the company had, the commitment to full 
cooperation with the authorities. And the CEO even sent out an email that said, we're still an honorable company, was, was the word used. Right. When we were talking earlier, you said it was one of the largest federal raids since Enron. So this was fairly large in, in scope as well, which I think is interesting to note. That's like kind of the top oh shit moment for us right now. I mean, that doesn't get much bigger than that. Yeah, I was somewhat insulated from it being out in China and being still in a relatively junior role. I wasn't in a position where I even had visibility really into the controls were put in place afterward or the response to that. But as you learn a lot from seeing something like that happen and from understanding that, yeah, we're not just talking about these compliance processes and risk in the abstract. From going through that experience, what, what were your biggest takeaways? You know, you mentioned the importance of tone at the top, but are there any big learnings that, that that experience gave you? Yeah, I think tone at the top is probably the most important there because I, I think the company, because of that messaging, was able to continue with business, was able to take a look at itself and really pick itself back up and get back to the, the task at hand. I think that was very important, but I think it also just underscores the importance of collaborative communication, both with business partners and legal and and regulators, just the importance of, of having an open dialogue that you can build on and build trust with one another so that you, you don't reach, I guess, that point. Now, what would you say is one of the proudest moments you've had in your career? I'm very proud of some of the pro bono work I've done, but in the compliance role, I'm very proud of the work I've done over the past you know, half year or so at Red Hat to really transform our, our partner vetting program with the help of, of GAN. Red Hat had just a great program before, but relied a lot on systems that didn't talk to each other and on non-digital tools. Myself, Karen, David Levine, uh, a whole team of folks at Red Hat, IBM, GAN, and Control Risk, I think have been able to build relatively quickly a tool for our third-party screening that does things that even a few years ago, when I was looking at vendors, we were told that they couldn't be done, that we couldn't get all these different systems to talk to each other. And we couldn't streamline and digitize the workflows the way that we've been able to do here. It's a project that still is in a continuous improvement phase and it's something we're still working on building, but it's, it's scalable, it's consolidated. And we've managed to, I think, collect a lot of data about our partners, cloud solution providers, our ISVs, and have a one-stop shop now. So Red Hat was acquired by IBM. Can you tell us a little bit about how that impacted the team and process and all the things that came out of that? In the past, I'd been on the other side of the transaction, part of a parent integrating a new acquisition into the fold and, and pushing down compliance processes. But that's not really the way it works uh, with the IBM Red Hat agreement. Since Red Hat has this open source platform and works with some principles of open source and neutrality, we're able to learn from IBM's experiences and tools and perspectives while still designing our own program that fits the unique risk set and profile, I think, of, a, of an open source company. I love that, that focus on collaboration and that you're able to share certain learnings with each other so that you both, I think, can benefit and improve your programs. So you were previously an investigations attorney and then ended up working in anti-bribery and compliance. So how were each of these roles? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I didn't plan it going this way, but I really think it adds an incredible value to be able to work on investigations, to take a whistleblower's call 
and then talk to a whistleblower and witnesses throughout the course of an investigation and see how even, I think, well-developed and mature processes can have gaps that I think as compliance professionals, we don't always anticipate. As much as we rely on data and processes and data analytics, compliance is a very human endeavor, right? Our risk is created by not only organizational behavior, but but human choices. And you see that with investigations that I think poor compliance messaging relies on because I said so. And I have three sons aged five and under, and I, I know that doesn't work with kids. And I don't think it works with adults either. I think instead, if you have some frontline experience, you can see how some of the scenarios that we, we worry about actually play out. And you can explain that it's more than just because I said so, but there's real instances where this can go wrong, both for a company and an individual. And you can also see how cultural differences can lead to misinterpretations around the world of the same set of circumstances or the same directive. And I think that helps go beyond the data to understand the, the human element. So the, the DOJ Foreign Bribery Unit recently has grown to record size and now has 39 prosecutors. 39 new prosecutors. 39 new prosecutors. So it seems like the, it's going to be a big priority. So what do you make of this? I wish that was signaling a increased focus on collaboration and, and openness, but I think it does signal that there's going to be an uptick, I think, in enforcement and investigations. And that's why it's, it's always been important for, I think, compliance professionals to be proactive, to focus on being preventative, but also to be embedded early on in business in initiatives and strategies and to have a seat at the table where you can help plan out new strategies, new in initiatives, new global expansion, because I think the FCPA is going to get its docket of investigations back up to the levels we saw previously. So as a GAN customer, what are your thoughts on compliance technology? What should compliance officers be thinking about today in terms of tech stack? Yeah, it has been amazing to see the progress in compliance technologies, just driven by companies like GAN and others out there who are able to create these platforms that leverage multiple data sources and can provide some analysis. The progress has been really dramatic over the last five years. And when I hear people saying that they manage their program with data, though, that's I feel like that's just not enough anymore with all the innovations uh, that have taken place in compliance technology. You know, that mantra of managing with data always reminds me a little bit of the pointy-haired boss in the Dilbert cartoons who thought his employees loved him because he managed with data. You know, that was like 20 years ago, so maybe I'm dating myself <laughs> a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but compliance, I think, has moved beyond just collecting and representing the data that we now use data analytics to analyze all the data we're pulling in, to leverage smart solutions, to use AI. And in addition to the analytics and, and the smart solutions, we also you know, have to have room for a human element there. And I think bringing real expertise to bear in the compliance field, some real experience, control risk, and other companies have, I think is a real value add when that human element's able to work. You know, as an example, if you, if you want to map out data for whistleblower complaints in your hotline, if you have a disgruntled partner that's been calling the hotline 18 times, you're misrepresenting the risk. But if then if you omit an outlier like that, your data just isn't truthful. So I think compliance technology has made leaps and bounds beyond just data collection and beyond data representation to, to analytics, to smart tools. But I think that human element there is ultimately 
uh, compliance, like I said before, corruption is a, a uniquely human behavior, and we have to go beyond the data to, to really manage it. Being in the software space, every week somebody announces they have their new machine learning AI algorithm that'll make your life easier. Do you think there are still major areas where AI and so forth can take over, even though there, I assume we're all going to say there's always going to be that human element, but do you think there's a piece of that puzzle that could still be filled with some technology? I think their monitoring and continuous monitoring, such as that offered by GAN, is a great place where AI can analyze your results for you. I think AI can provide the tools to um, get you to better answers. But ultimately, when it comes to compliance activities like partner vetting or HR activities, there's a human element there that you're always going to need, I think some expertise, global expertise even, that comes to bear to inform your decisions in a way that the data analytics can't always fill that gap. What do you think poses the largest threat to organizations to act ethically? What really prevents them from pushing ethical behavior throughout an entire organization? I think there's a worry, less so than there used to be, that there's a competitive disadvantage when an organization is really focused on transparency and openness. I think companies like Red Hat can show that at least in the software space, that certainly isn't true. At Red Hat, the the motto is our code is open because all the code is freely available. It's an open source company. And that kind of transparency actually brings to bear some strengths in in that it allows for better collaboration. And I think that as anti-corruption regimes and enforcement activities around the world are escalating, it's clearly no longer a competitive disadvantage to have an ethical company and a company that's focused on transparency. And I think most global companies understand that and can see that more clearly in embracing principles that not only protect their reputations, but also uh, protect their customers. Our world becomes just more and more complex, I think, with every passing year. And the solutions that we need to, to be competitive are more complex as well. And so Partners and customers need to trust you. You can't always see through that complexity. And so companies have to trust their suppliers, their vendors, their partners. And if you have that reputation and that commitment to openness, I think it is a competitive advantage. So when you take a step back and look at the compliance industry as a whole, what do you think we're getting right? Or if the inverse of this question is more compelling, what do you think we're getting wrong? Where are the opportunities for us to grow as an industry? It's tough to think about either way because as compliance professionals, it's easy to see the progress the industry has made over the last few years. And it's been, I think, fairly amazing to watch. And what makes being a compliance professional fun, I think, is seeing that progress. But I think what we're doing right, I guess, is compliance has a better seat at the table when it comes to business strategy and decision making than it did before. It's no longer, I think, an uphill battle to argue that an effective compliance program is a value add. It might have been at one point, but that's that's not true anymore. But I think what we're doing wrong, though, is as a compliance industry, and maybe this just comes from my experience in internal investigations, but I think we rely a bit too much on, to use the carrot and stick metaphor, the June DOJ guidance for compliance programs discussed not only disciplinary measures, but incentives for compliance behavior. You know, I mentioned before with my oh shit moment how the tone at the top is uh, so important. So I think we need to incorporate compliance messaging into succession planning and evaluations for senior leaders with rewards for 
groups and departments that are able to you know, live out the compliance message because it does relate to long-term success just as much as other performance metrics do. So I think we need to, to move toward rewarding leaders and those who take part in transparent ethical behaviors rather than just having disciplinary measures. Is this something that is implemented at Red Hat? Yeah, and it's something I think we're working on getting with the people team and making sure that part of succession planning, making sure part of evaluations for senior leadership take into account our commitment to open source principles and transparency. I love that because it really turns like what you're saying about tone into the top and from words into actions across the organization, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, and it can be hard to measure that sometimes, I think. It's, it's hard to measure compliance. And I think that's where the data does help and data analytics can be important to leverage not just the number of trainings, but also surveys to measure companies, employees, on their understanding of, of the principles that we're trying to operate by. So what piece of advice would you have for others that maybe are actually thinking more about it or are, are looking to jump right in deliberately into compliance? I think you had a guest on here a few weeks ago, actually, who talked about doing something else first. And I think that is good advice, whether it be focused on business or transactional. I think compliance professionals who come from that background tend to be more collaborative and, and tend to be focused on, as compliance professionals, we like to say, not being the department of no. You, you never want to be the department of no as a compliance professional. And I think those who have a background in business are, are good at finding creative solutions and, and really partnering. Coming from a litigation background like I did, I think there's a tendency sometimes to take an adversarial approach because that's what you're trained in when a cooperative posture is really the appropriate one for compliance. No matter where you come from, I think it's important to remember that when you enter the compliance career, it's really a different uh, career. It's, it's a career change. You're no longer a litigator or a, a deal lawyer. Now you're a, a compliance attorney. Compliance and ethics, what does it mean to you at the end of the day? That's a tough one. In, in the corporate compliance sphere, I mentioned before the tremendous progress I think our industry has made. And I think big picture, the increased focus on corporate compliance at big companies across the world, I think it's driving toward a more ethical world where we're vetting partners, we're training employees on the, doing the right thing. We're asking even small partners to have a code of conduct and to have some kind of training for their employee. And that's improving supply chains. That's decreasing, I think, the corruption in the world and moving toward a prosperous and perhaps less corrupt world ultimately. And I think the market is driving much of that and what we expect from our suppliers and vendors. Because without that, you, you can't really build the trust that you need, I think, to have the right kind of collaboration and the right kind of culture. Do you have an oh shit moment that you'd like to share knowing that it will help others like you? Shoot us an email at riskybusiness at We'd love to hear from you.